as we continue to celebrate this wonderful um, Easter Sunday, we're going to look at two passages. First one is in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. <clears throat> On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Then we're gonna also read from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses one to nine. The empty tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are, we are grateful to make the confession Jesus is risen. And we will, so we pray that the living Jesus would address each of us this morning. Make your word, this story of the resurrection, come alive for us in a new way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't think you missed it, but just in case you did, it's Easter uh, Resurrection Sunday, and spoiler alert, he rose from the dead. It's true. Yes. I heard a minister, uh, a guy named Craig Barnes, once talk about how after a worship service, a man came to him and said, Reverend, I think you're in a rut because I come once a year every Easter and you're preaching the same thing every year. I am delighted to be in a resurrection rut today, okay, because the resurrection is the greatest news this world has ever heard or encountered. And I take special delight that today is also April Fool's Day. Yes, resurrection 2018 is April Fool's because the resurrection might be just the greatest joy and note of laughter that God has injected into the sad story of this broken world. It is the coming together of, of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his victorious rising from the dead that gives us every reason to laugh at sin, at evil, injustice, and death because one day the resurrection promises they will be no more. 
Today is a day for great laughter. I love one tradition. I think it's the Orthodox priests. They gather together after their Easter services, and they tell jokes. Tell a lot of jokes today, okay? Because today is a day for great laughter and joy. Now, just as a quick sidebar, I think it's important for us to just focus in on, remember, what we're celebrating today is a resurrection. It is not a resuscitation, okay? Jesus was not a living body that died and was resuscitated back to this life. C.S. Lewis says he feels very sad for Lazarus, who was resuscitated back to this life, because he said he has to go through dying all over again. And it's not a sense of Jesus' influence surviving. You know, some, some other religions, might, Buddhists might say, you know, the Buddha lives. And that's not what a Christian says, that Jesus lives on, his influence lives on. No, 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 that's, that's not resurrection. Resurrection is about God's dramatic act by which he stopped the process of decay and decomposition, how he rescued Jesus out of the realm of the dead and transformed his body, a resurrection body that had a new power and was now immortal, never to die again. He was the first fruits, the Bible says, of a new creation that has begun in Jesus. And that resurrection was a validation of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross and the resurrection, they are two parts of a single piece. They are interconnected. The cross revealed, the resurrection reveals that the cross, that that suffering, pierced, humiliated man, Jesus Christ, is indeed the Lord of all things. The resurrection revealed that God was at work in what look like the bleakest, most horrific moment of human history, that violent execution of the Son of God at the, home, at the hands of the world's power. The resurrection is sort of the stake in the ground of world history that God is present in the cries and the tears and the brokenness of this world, and he is reconciling that broken world to himself. It is a witness to the truth that this is where God will meet us that he is crowned as king among our tears, and that he is renewing all that is bent and bruised and broken in this world. Can you believe that? Can we believe that? On April Fool's, it's a good day to ask that question, because no one wants to be taken for a fool. No one wants to be found so gullible, right? To be taken in by rumor or legend or, or ghost stories. That's the struggle for so many. Is this resurrection news just an April Fool's prank? This summer I was um, officiating an out-of-town wedding, and um, so my wife Betty and I um, were put up at a lovely vacation rental. And uh, as part of that, we, we had three housemates for the weekend. It was a beautiful wedding, and after the wedding, um, we went back to our vacation rental place, and myself and the three weekend housemates, we sat around with a bottle of wine or two, and we talked late into the night. And the conversation very quickly turned to matters of faith. Obviously, I was the minister who did the wedding, and the other three were not Christians. And there was something about the wedding, something about the grace they encountered at that wedding that caught their interest. And for the next few hours into the wee hours of the morning, they peppered Betty and me with all sorts of questions about Jesus and about Christianity. 
And it, it, was, a, it was a beautiful, holy time. It, it was, for me, a picture of how I hope our church can be, that we can be a church that, that values those sorts of questions and loves all the people who asks them. And at one point in the evening, one of the female guests thanked us, and she says, you know, I, I just don't have any questions in my life who I can ask these questions. I hope they're not offensive or too hostile. And they weren't. They were just honest, heartfelt questions. And you can guess what the biggest one was. So you guys really believe that Jesus died and he's alive. Like, actually? Really? Yes, Jesus rose from the dead, was crucified, and was raised by the power of God to new life and you can encounter him even today. Really? And the resurrection of the Jesus was something that just strained the credulity. It pushed them to the edges of what they had the capacity to take in. Really? Resurrection? How on earth? That doesn't happen. And they're not alone. Every historical account of the resurrection is filled with doubt and fear and suspicion and questions. You read all the gospel accounts, and, and it's interesting, you know, you don't see people parading out their faith. Well, of course, Jesus rose from the dead. No, you see skepticism. You see people confused. You see people fearful. No one, no one saw this coming. So if you're here today and you find yourself straining to believe the resurrection, you're in good company. The resurrection was stretching from the very get-go. But even if, you have do question, even if you do have questions, even if you do have doubts today, even if you remain skeptical of the resurrection, you know, you should want to believe that it's true more than anything else. Because if you're like many people that I know, you, you care about things like alleviating poverty in the world. You care about doing away with things like injustice and oppression in the world. You want the environment to be cared for well. You want the plight of the poor to be addressed. But what reason in your worldview do you have for that sort of life? Because if your worldview tells you, you know, that this world began with sort of an accident and is going to fade and burn away into oblivion, do you see how your worldview undercuts any motivation for you to live a life like that? But the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ means that this world matters. This world, this life, your body, and all those important concerns we named. The resurrection proclaims the hope that God is at work renewing everything and that a new creation, a redeemed, renewed creation is underway. It has begun with the resurrection. And one day, one day, we will all have bodies that work. I will have a full head of hair. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> and we'll have these new bodies and we will have a, a renewed creation, a world of justice, a world where all things were set right. And so that, that reality gives us the hope and the reason and the power to push back against the tide of suffering and evil in the present world, to give our lives for the sake of the poor, to pursue mercy and justice all in Jesus' name. And so even if you doubt the resurrection, I hope deep in your hearts you want this so badly to be true. 
But how might you find some resurrection faith? This account that we read in John 20 shows us a pathway. First thing you've got to realize is, is that you are already placing your trust, your faith in something. A lot of people, when they consider the resurrection, they think, well, I could never believe that. You know, I'm not really a person of faith. I don't have faith. And I always got to tell people, just, just hang on, because we all have faith. Becoming a Christian, getting connected with the resurrected Christ is taking faith where we may have placed it and putting it on Jesus Christ. It is, maybe to put it in another way, it is expanding our faith, our capacity to take in more reality than we presently already do. And we see this happening in this account in John. Mary and the other disciples who came to the tomb, the empty tomb, they had seen Jesus work miracles, right? They had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen him raise the dead. And yet, they weren't expecting a resurrection. They come to the tomb with some narrowed categories. They are not expecting a risen Lord. They were locked into categories about Jesus that were too small. Mary's first response to Jesus is, Rabbi. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. Or he's a healer. And the reason belief was so difficult, even for them, is because their categories were too small about who Jesus is. That's why Mary didn't even see Jesus first, even though he's standing right in front of her. And for some of us, the same dynamic occurs because our scope, our capacity for reality is so narrowed. Our categories for what is true are so narrowed. We need to expand those. Realize that you are seeing the world through a certain lens. You're putting your faith in something. But more to the point, here in this account of the resurrection from John, we find a pathway to embracing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's captured in, in just a little beautiful phrase at the end of verse 8. He saw and believed. The disciples looked and believed at the evidence. But what is the evidence? I mean, what they saw, the first piece of evidence was simply the empty tomb, a discovery of an empty tomb, the tomb where Jesus' body was placed, the tomb that was sealed with a stone, the tomb where guards were, other accounts say, placed before. The stone is now moved away. The body of Jesus is not there. The tomb was empty. Now, no matter what explanation you might have for that, there's no first century apologetic, there's no credible historian who would deny or debate an empty tomb. I mean, in fact, the Roman authorities of the day acknowledged the tomb is empty, so they came up with another reason, another explanation for why that happened. The disciples stole the body, they said. So whatever you make of Easter, you've you got to engage the reality that something happened that left the tomb empty. Now, in John's account, Mary sees the stone rolled away, and she's just freaked out, alarmed at all the potential implications of what is going on. And so she races back to get a few other disciples. She goes to Peter, calls him, goes to John, brings him. And now these two disciples are in full sprint to get to that empty tomb. Think of that moment as they are racing to that tomb. What is going through their minds? There's, there's a painting, a little-known painting, that is really, I think, a remarkable painting by Eugene Bernand, and it's up there on the screen. 
Look at, just take that painting in. This is Peter and John. They're rushing to the tomb of Christ. Mary's words about an empty tomb has just filled their heads, but their faces, look at their faces, their bodies are revealing, not faith. (laughs) John, the younger one, who's dressed in white, look at his face. His hands are just sort of anxiously wringing them together, right? He was the one who was with Jesus to the end. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He knows what death means. He looks as if he can barely bring himself to believe this. And then Peter. Peter, who unlike John, was not a person of faith. He was the faithless one. Peter, I mean, he looks terrified. He's like he's gripping his heart like he's going to have a heart attack, right? He's not sure whether he can stand this. In John's account, we read that John, it was a full-out sprint, and John got there first, bends over, looks in, sees the strips of linen, but doesn't go into the tomb. Peter, in typical Peter fashion, went straight into the tomb, John says, and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. He looked, he saw, and it's interesting, the word there used for saw, for looked, is not the usual Greek word. It's, It's a Greek word called blepo up there. There's a little Greek for you to take home. It's not that word, but it's a different word. Thereo, which is the word to observe, but to be thinking about what is going on, to be analyzing what's going on. It is to be observed. This is what a scientist does. They thereo. They observe something intently, and they're thinking. They're looking for an explanation for what they're observing. We get our word theory from that. You're looking at evidence. You're thinking. Peter is doing that. Peter is observing. He's thinking. He's working out the implications. He sees an empty tomb. He sees linens. He sees a headpiece, and he's thinking, okay, if normal grave robbers did this, why, why would they leave behind the linen? It's got all the spices in it. Those are expensive spices. That, that's not possible. Why, why are the grave clothes so, so neatly there? If the disciples took this body I mean, why would they dishonor the body of Jesus by, by taking a naked body, right? Why wouldn't they leave the, the claws on? So he's observing, he's thinking, he's working out the implications of the evidence he sees. This is what Christians do when they come to faith. They think. A lot of people, um, as, if they think of Christians, you know, well, you just made the choice to believe, right? Often in the face of all the evidence. But actually to believe, you need to think hard, Faith is more than thinking, but it's never less than that. And it took a great deal of evidence to convince all the disciples of the reality of the resurrection. And today, we need that evidence too, and we have it, friends. The empty tomb. (laughs) Or think about in this story again, simply the presence, really in all the resurrection accounts, the presence of women. In this story, it's the presence of Mary Magdalene as the first witness to the resurrection. Again, in that culture, the testimony of a woman, discounted, not part of the deal. Um, No one would listen. One of the attacks on Christianity was, how can we trust the account of, quote, hysterical women? Okay, this is not me, okay? This is... This is the, the culture of their understanding. And yet, in every account of the resurrection, it is women who are the first witness of the gospel. Historians will say, you know, if you are writing this, inventing this story, you would never put women in there. And the only plausible explanation for the presence of women is that this is, in fact, how it happened, how it played out. 
But they weren't the only ones. Hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection account. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. How he said there are many witnesses on different occasions. In fact, 500 at one time. At different times saw the risen Jesus Christ and were there to testify about it. And this reason, risen Jesus, is available today, friends. To meet you, to encounter you, to bring your life hope and meaning of new creation. I wish we had more time to go into this because there's many more evidences that we could bring before, compelling evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Can I encourage you, if, if you're exploring this, can I encourage you to go to Alpha? Because you've got a number of weeks to explore that. It's beginning this week, as you heard, and it's an opportunity for you to ask questions, to explore, to look into the tomb and perhaps believe. Can you open your heart to Jesus today? Strange as it might seem, I encourage you to pray to Jesus. To say, Jesus, if you are really God, if you really did rise from the dead, would you show me that it's true? Because an interesting thing of the gospel stories is that even Jesus needed to open the minds of his disciples so that they could understand what Scripture was saying about him, that he had really risen. And so as you think through what the gospel is telling us, pray to Jesus. Ask him to open your heart to the truth. How do you account for the empty tomb? How do you explain how the lives of so many of the disciples were in an instant turned upside down, how they were willing to be beaten, to be imprisoned, to be killed? All those disciples still confessing Jesus Christ is risen. Look into the tomb like they did. Look, see, and believe. The offer of the resurrection is so great. How can you not seriously explore it? Will it feel foolish? Maybe. Foolish if justice is a joke. Foolish if compassion is laughable, foolish, if unconditional love is foolish. Or maybe, just maybe, it's the greatest hope for our cynical, divided day and age that we need to hear. No joke about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this powerful resurrection story and we pray that you would reveal your resurrection reality to all of us here today whether we have heard the story many times or whether this is the first time we've heard it god by your holy spirit would you open our eyes to know you would you open our ears to hear you like mary calling our name would you open our hearts so that we would transfer our trust to you so that we embrace your life-changing resurrection reality. We pray this in the name of the risen, living Jesus. Amen.